can't really say to someone, you know, take your shoes off and, you know, walk in the bathroom. They think you're crazy and say like, well, of course we do that. But when you do that and there's something that's resonating through your body and then you look outside the windows and there's fog coming in your, and it's affecting the lighting within the space itself. I think you just realized that you just checked into something more than just a hotel. You checked mm. into an experience, you know. And... That's Alessandro Munje, the founder of Studio Munje, who has been creating extraordinary spaces for more than 20 years. Welcome to Design Pod, sponsored by Geberit, with me, Hamish Kilburn, editor of Hotel Designs. On this episode themed Transforming Spaces, Alessandro has joined me as my special guest. Now, Alessandro and I are not strangers. I spoke to the designer and his wife, art consultant Grace Sapilli, last year on Travel by Design, a podcast by Marriott Bonvoy Traveller that I also host. On the podcast, which you can listen to on all major platforms, just search Travel by Design, we were exploring one hotel that he and his team designed, Muir Halifax Autograph Collection Hotel in Nova Scotia. It was the first of six episodes, all featuring different hotels in different parts of the world, from Costa Rica to the Maldives, LA to Budapest. The truth is, I was totally captivated by the way in which Alessandro described the design narrative behind Muir. He was so intensely descriptive on the materials and the feeling of each space that I invited him onto this podcast to explore beyond the hotel and to understand a bit more about how Studio Munje approaches transforming spaces, which is how the topic was born. And I started our interview by catching up, well, where we left off. So Alessandro, welcome to Design Pod. I feel like I'm welcoming back an old friend because obviously we've been on a podcast before. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you, Hamish? It's so good to be back. And you know, we're now we're, we're calling each other friends. That's amazing. We're friends. Like, that's just... That is the beauty of hospitality <laughs> in our industry that we love so much, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Feels like we haven't spoken to each other in quite a long time because the last time we spoke, we were you were the first episode of my sort of hosting of Travel by Design, the Marriott Bonvoy uh, oh, wow. podcast, and but that was a special project for you. I mean, Muir Halifax, and I think the beauty of that that podcast is it focuses on one project per episode, and it focuses on a project that really helps. I mean, the hotel that we select within that, that, those series, each one kind of redefines the area in a really authentic way. But I don't think any really captured the sense of place in such an unconventional way as the one that you designed, which was Muir Halifax. And that was obviously down to the materials and the colours and the kind of vibes that you created. But the other thing I loved about that podcast episode was... You were, you were on it with your wife and you designed the hotel mm. with your wife. She was doing the art curation, you were doing the design. And it was really lovely to hear how you took in the hotel and experienced it with your family um, after you designed it. I'm just intrigued because of the portfolio of work that you, you have. What does that hotel mean to you on a personal mm. level? Well, without a doubt, it was very special to be working on it with my wife, Grace, and she's so talented as an art consultant and uh, working collaboratively so close to her, I think only nets a better result in your project. And we become much more passionate about it. You know, your your life experience with your partner is so much more than at that point. You know, we're all we're all things love of design in the house and certainly with our kids as well. Um, you know, right from the get-go. So it felt good to be able to do a project with her. And we do all projects with her, but that one there was so personal because, you know, we had 
both contributed to making the property an authentic experience, you know, one that was respectful of local vernacular and community, right? And so it was it was good to do that in a way where, you know, we were able to do it together as a family. And I think it all kind of resonated together when I realized that, you know, when we were there and we woke up in that fog story that we had put into our, our narrative. And really that's noticing how appropriate the design solution was for me kind of check the box of, did I get this right? You know, because you sit there and you design all day long and you try to put the best images around a narrative that you're imagining. But this one was so emotive as an experience and almost felt like a responsibility to help Halifax become recognized as a unique destination within our country. It's, it, maybe that sounds weird, but I think listening to people's reaction to being on that property tells me that the approach of being more emotive versus more thematic or uh, you know, pulling Pinterest images to try to get the right design details. The fact that we were much more emotional about it and creating that motion into a three-dimensional space that connected to people. I don't yeah. know. I think that was the ultimate success for me on the project. I, I, I don't think the project could have been handled any other way. I mean, when you look at mm. Halifax and you talk about the grey kind of like mornings there, which sounds a bit grim, but actually it's 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 a real beauty that that the city has and the kind of area has. It's a it's um you know on the Atlantic coast it's kind of that seafaring kind of old kind of maritime history that you're it's like rough and ready but creating mm. a luxurious feel within that town that city how difficult was that we will move on to other projects obviously because we've spoken about Muir and you know and you have to go over to the travel by design podcast which you can get at any podcast platform to listen to that episode but but just quickly how how difficult was it to ensure that those materials were injected but in a sense that felt luxurious yeah i mean uh, this one really had uh, i think the, the project was a true partnership of three devoted principles here one was myself and the other one was the architect a brilliant brilliant architect canadian architect brian lyons and then our client scott mccree so these three had were driven so much by passion and ultimately Scott, the client was the conductor and he kept talking about his passion for Halifax. He was born and raised and his responsibility as a family to deliver something back. And he used this word, he used to call, he, he was always worried about hiring us as a Toronto firm doing projects in Halifax because it's almost shunned upon a little bit because you worry about whether we as a, as a mega city would get it right for yeah. a city like Halifax. So he was very sensitive about it. He kept showing me imagery and wanted me to, to come to the, to the site many, many times and to experience what it felt like on the water. I went to his home. I got to understand his family. And he Sounds kept like talking a tough about- job. It was, it, it was a bit <laughs> tough, you know, but we talked about how this sense of dourness to the city, you know? And okay. yeah. what that meant for me is that you couldn't use shiny materials. You couldn't use things that felt too like glamorous and too too polished so we toned everything down all of the mm. wood like the walnuts that we use were all like a matte finish you know like no sheen whatsoever nothing everything was almost had this patina of natural um, materials to it so granite didn't feel like someone went in and machined it and polished it it felt like mm. it came from the ground and then we just put it in place the woods yeah. although they were beautifully crafted and organized 
they still felt like you when you touched them, there was texture that you can sense on your on the palm of your hands. And it makes it makes it a lot more sensorial. You mentioned the same when when you walked into the bathroom, you can really feel the texture of the material under your feet. I love that. You could. Yeah. It's something that, you know, can't really say to someone, you know, take your shoes off and you know, walk in the bathroom, they think you're crazy and say like, well, of course we do that. But when you do that, and there's something that's resonating through your body, and then you look outside the windows, and there's fog coming in your, and it's affecting the lighting within the space itself. I think you just realize that you just checked into something more than just a hotel, you checked mm-hmm. into an experience, you know, and as you can see, I, I sometimes struggle to articulate the words, because I keep thinking about the emotion that I felt in the space rather than, you know, the design itself. And I'm sure it becomes yeah. as a result of the emotion, right? But, uh, yeah, absolutely. But I also think that it's such a significant project and it could have gone so wrong. Like adding a luxury <laughs> hotel to that area could have been like career ending moment, but you got it right. And that's, yeah. like, I can really, I could really sense when we were talking about it last time and I can sense it now as well. You know, there's a real responsibility there and a real kind of the passion really drives from that wanting to get it right for the client, but also for everyone else, you know, locals and travelers alike as well, wanting to experience the right authenticity of the city. I think that's really important and massively evident in your work. So, so the theme for this episode is transforming spaces. And before we sort of delve into your projects that really capture that theme from my perspective, what's the story behind Studio Munje? How did it, well, how was it born and what was the kind of the aim and how has it kind of evolved over the years? I started off as uh, just a kid uh, passionate about design, really. Um, And in school, you know, I would doodle and sketch away and realize that, you know, I was sketching more Mm -hmm. about architecture and then I was interiors. And my mother owned a business, a drapery business at the time when I was you know, very young. And um, I come from a family of three. I'm the middle child. So the black sheep of the family. And that I am, without a doubt. Um, same in our family. Oh, really? Same for <laughs> I'm you? I'm the youngest. I'm, I'm the same. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, you know, just different responsibilities, I guess, that I just grabbed onto. My mother would would go and try to sell her drapery to clients and she would literally you know take her books and her magazines and and sit at dining room tables and try to sell you know a solution to these residential um, owners and then she'd come home and slave away at you know um, sewing drapery and such and we didn't grow up with very much at the time and so i my brother was off and my sister wasn't born at the time and so i had no choice but to go with my mother she didn't want to leave me at home because i was so young and then you know eventually at around the age of 13 14 I had a pen in hand and some graph paper. And I was, I at that point, seen my mother like really go through the struggles of making sure that she would be able to uh, sell something and, with through some kind of creative. And I had, like started doodling in front of my mother, like just on the side. And my mother was trying to sell something to this lady. And I started doodling some drapery solutions and literally sketching away. And the lady that was talking to my mother, she said, Nella, if you don't mind, um, I think I found the solution here. And my mother was like, yeah, well, I'm sorry, I don't understand. She said, I'd like to build what your son is drawing. Wow. True story. Yeah, true story. And so instantly I realized that the power of a sketch and my hand drawing something could result not only in something creating something beautiful, but there was a business aspect to it. And I had seen my family struggle financially for years and years and years when we were young. And I realized that, wow, this thing that I put down brought revenue in. It brought, you know, cash in our table. And so from that point, I just would go with my mother every time she would try to, 
go out there and self and drapery. And I doodle. My job was to doodle. Her job was to talk. And I would sketch away. And then eventually I was putting fabrics to them and then helping her install them. So I was constructing them and many things. And sometimes I'd, I'd doodle something where she'd come home and she'd say, I don't know how to build that. So I'd actually sit there and draw solutions on how to build it and take my hands and take fabric and kind of put it together. It made me realize the value of both art and business. Mm. So if I fast forward to today and realize where I came from, I, that's exactly what we do. While design matters to me, not only does my business matter, but the success of my client's business matters equally. And they're exactly parallel in my mind. I don't sure. differentiate the two. And that's, that's something I think that's really unique about our studio that, you know, we can, the, the business of our clients' businesses is equally important to the design. And I think that's where we always tap into this concept of being more emotional. And, and our clients always talk, we were just interviewed by a client of ours uh, for a project that we're working in Saint-Martin. And the person interviewing was asking me a bunch of questions. And my client said, let me, let me explain to you what Alessandro is. He is an architect of experiences. And he kind <laughs> of like, he could have summed it up in my head. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty cool, you know, to sort get of on the see website. how. Yeah, yeah, get that on the <laughs> website. Right? An architect of experiences. But I, I will say that, that the concept of drapery itself fell very quickly. Um, I had this desire to go back to the sketches where I started in my life, which was architecture. And I just realized more and more that drapery at that point at a very young age become, became too two-dimensional for me. Mm, and I wanted sure. it to make it a lot more three-dimensional and like kind of thinking about humans within space and how that space affects human beings. I fell in love with this. I would sit there and watch my first projects and just sit there in, in the restaurant that we had designed and just watch people's reactions. And if, if their heads had not gone up and around and touched things, then I feel that the project isn't successful. I don't think designers do that enough, actually, like really mm. sort of em embody the space around them after they've designed it to really see how people are using the space. I think obviously the way in which like business is, you know, you're just onto the next project and, and there's that, but I think you can learn a lot, not, not necessarily how you would do things differently, but actually how people are using the space that you've designed, you know? Yeah, because we're so conditioned as architects and designers to flip through magazines and see a composition that resonates for us, mm -hmm. you know, the textures and materials and, you know, the graphic nature of it. But we're not talking about the human nature of it, right? We're just talking yeah. about the pictorial nature of it. And I'd like to sort of like, change that like we talk about all the time in the office which is you know I, we take pictures for the purposes of what we need to do because that's the norm but video is much more powerful to sort of capture space than just stills that have usually yeah. been you know a little bit you know macgyvered with and you know changed and altered and such right so um anyway that's i guess everybody does things in the industry their own way and i think that's what makes the world so beautiful is that there's such diversity in design. We're all here just to contribute a little bit to make people's lives that much better. Absolutely. This series of Design Pod is sponsored by Geberit. I don't know about you, but when I enter a hotel bathroom, I now expect things to be matching for the whole room to work as one. Geberit One offers a wide range of options for designing hotel bathrooms that impress with both aesthetics and functionality wash basins, furniture, WCs and mirrors in a variety of designs that can be perfectly combined to suit the style of any hotel. 
I see a lot of well within your work and obviously the theme around this uh, episode is transforming spaces you, mm. you, you do that in quite an unconventional way and your sort of relationship as a studio with materials which it makes a lot of sense now you just sort of explained the the kind of background of the studio and how it sort of progressed and what you look for in your designers and architects who, who join Studio Munche but it's it's a really interesting way of injecting nature for it to then mm. feel human centric as you just you were describing when did that kind of aha moment come into your approach to design or has it always been there looking at new materials and, and injecting them in and not just sort of going for the conventional standalone thing that's on that's on the shelves yeah you know it's a combination of many things for sure materials and the tactility of them and the physicality of them are very important we tend to go to things like stone wood fabrics you know um as a as our go-to uh, palette not, for example with uh, with muir you used uh, was it mints that's on the exterior of the building that you've injected that in it's just it's it's simple but really clever when you think about it you know you're connecting all of those spaces the architecture speaking to the design and vice versa with the art curation as well yeah that's all part of it for sure but also i think the other thing that is a as an important part of the puzzle of design is space planning believe it or not you know the actual planning of how because we get essentially we get a blank piece of paper when we start right and then we have to imagine how we control people through space and how mm -hmm. we want them to experience it right and so i mean that space planning is such an important part to the architectural volumes lighting of course is important art they all contribute to the experience when you know holistically controlled um, that's an important piece to it without sure. And without a doubt too, but like humans are part of the palette too, right? Like we heavily, heavily study the guest profile and what we call the tribe, you know, to sort of identify who uses space. We don't design our spaces for people who, you know, go to McDonald's. McDonald's caters to 1.6 billion people a day, right? Well, however many people it is. We don't, we don't have to worry about 1.6 billion. We just have to worry about a specific tribe of people that want to experience a certain lifestyle, a certain experience within our, whether it's hospitality or residential experiences. So it's actually quite small and, and, and it makes it a lot easier, believe it or not, or maybe a little more difficult, but it, we don't have to like design for a lot of people. Like you have probably, your go-to hotels, or if you don't know your hotels, you probably know what you want out of a hotel, but not everybody wants what you want out of a hotel. So it actually yeah. makes it a little bit more narrowed down. And then if we get, we understand that tribe of the people, then we can design around that need. And then we'll find that it attracts like-minded people. Is it hard though, defining that tribe now that hotels are trying to be all things to all people to a certain extent like certain brand branded luxury hotels are trying to be more accessible are those tribes changing or at the end of the day do you kind of define around the the location or do you design around the location as well as the tribes i mean i'm just interested because i feel like branding is an interesting topic to talk about here because there's i mean a lot of brands try to soften their brand image the brand guidelines are being sort of softened so that they kind of merge more into lifestyles post like hard luxury that therefore changes the demographic of the people you're designing for yeah sense of place or the location is important but i've been like we're doing this project right now in saint martin and you know one of our challenges is that i've put on ourselves and to the client to say you know if i put up five resorts on an island right in front of me like if i put them up on a wall and you were to spin me up around and blindfold me and then point to one 
and take all the names of the resorts away, would I know yeah. which, which resort it is and what island? I would say no, because a lot of them are very similar. So our objective with mm -hmm. Simmerton is really to understand place, what makes Simmerton so interesting and unique about the, the, uh, 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 basically a small little island that is you know, divided by, by two nations, uh, both the French side and the Dutch side. And how do we build around that and build a story that people will ultimately feel and understand where it differentiates itself from other resorts uh, when you're trying to think of a place to go? Because otherwise everything becomes vanilla at that point. So are people changing? Yes. Without a doubt, people are changing. The world evolves every single day. That's the beauty of humans, quite frankly. But I believe that people seek destinations for a reason. And when you go to that destination, it becomes the responsibility of the place in which you lay your head on and where you eat your meals and want to experience that, that, that responsibility lies on it to uh, deliver. And the more it delivers, uh, the better your memories, the better your memories, then the better your experience, the better your experience, the more you'll want to come back. And yeah. so, but you'd have to kind of think about like, well, what makes it so different? And really that's, we always come back to Muir, but like if you stayed in five hotels in Muir and then you stayed in, I mean, in Halifax and then you stayed in Muir, you'd understand the difference, right? Because like, they're grabbing, they're trying to grab onto trends and they're trying to grab on what's cool out there right now, what's important, what's trending out there. I think when hotel brands fall into that trap, they get lost. I think they have to maintain their values, especially the five-star luxury plus brands. Um, when they start to lose that and try to chase trends and panic, I think they lose their way. I really do. Yeah, yeah. I think the flexibility I comes though in their hospitality and the in the restaurants and bars that could be flexible that could be ever-changing without a doubt like i mean a chinese restaurant a, a, a mexican restaurant italian restaurant it doesn't really matter you know that can change every three to five years but the print the, the the fundamentals of the print values have to remain in my opinion otherwise mm. it'll get lost it's interesting that you you mentioned um san martin and uh the caribbean i think it's a really interesting location to look at as a designer because mm. i think i can say it like there's a lack of really decent contemporary beautiful hotels that also have a nod to the history of the destination they're either incredibly kind of traditional or they've just lost the design scheme so what's the balance there why, why has it been so hard to design a hotel in the past like designers to design a hotel in the past that really answers to both because we seem to be able to do it everywhere else in the world <laughs> maybe because people think that there's an expectation of those who you know seek vacation on islands like i i go to the islands every year sometimes three times a year i go to barbados i love barbados because it's unpretentious it's it's real. It's authentic. I feel like There's I'm always so much part. to Barbados as well. Oh, it's you know, so I used, I used to work in the PR department that, well, the PR agency that did the PR for Barbados in their year of sport. And come on, um, the the activities that are there, you wouldn't even know, like. There's like this weird sort of like, it's almost crossed between table tennis and, and real tennis. That's like a proper, you know, sport that they do and it's competitive. And then they have like, I mean, it's just, it's extensive that we wouldn't, when you think about Barbados, you think of, oh, the West Coast, lovely hotels, beautiful, but it's good, like East Coast, rugged coastlines, like cycling there and the yoga scene as well. Like there's like, we were, we were asked to do, um, this This episode is not about me, but I'm really interested in this. We, we, we were asked to do, um, a beach and wellness festival the first beach and wellness festival for the island and we pulled together about maybe 20 different types of yoga teachers because 
it's got a crystalline heart as an island and it's got a real sort of spirituality behind it and I think the glamour of Barbados kind of that sometimes gets lost and I feel as if through design and architecture there's a real opportunity there for that spirit to be sort of recaptured maybe oh that's so is that where you learn to walk upside down on your hands <laughs> hotel handstands <laughs> their hotel handstands <laughs> it was definitely featured in that yeah <laughs> that's amazing Look, I, I, I it was no I, handstand I yoga um instructor so there, there was a space there for me <laughs> amazing well you're doing great keep up the good work um look i i think i'm so glad that you know it's it's amazing how you instantly like started telling stories about the island and and i know the island i mean i literally just got back as well i know the island so well and i love the island so much i bought property on the island nice. and uh and i'm really looking forward to creating something on the island that i feel is missing uh, because I wanted to connect back to what I think is important on that particular island. And I, I, have a very, I have a very soft spot for it because over the years, what we've gotten to know is the people of the island. Yeah. Like we don't realize, but, you know, it's not our island. We're there to visit. And there are locals there that live every single day. And being a part of their lives, you know, whether we're eating in their homes um, or, or hanging out on the beach or going to restaurants, it takes uh, island living and and vacationing to a whole new level. Absolutely. Otherwise, you're just planting your bum on a beach and, you know, getting burned by the sun. And then, I mean, sand is sand, ocean is ocean. You know, you can, yeah, sure, there'll be much more quieter places and much more crystal water and much more softer sands and all that stuff. Absolutely. But net net, it's the same sort of experience. So you yeah. look for the next level of that connection and that's really we're talking design but we're talking about human experience and we're talking what we seek instinctually as human beings you know which is the human connection and if anything i hope that this pandemic has taught us that while we were forced to be apart people ultimately missed each other and i see that for sure and that's fantastic because that just i find that that's part of the thread that you know really stitches our design narratives together it really is I mean it's just yeah. I think there's almost a, a relaxed appreciation for design and I, I kind of want to introduce another one of your projects which is Park Hyatt Toronto and I mentioned mm. earlier about brands sort of suffering softening their brand guidelines I love the way in which the architecture and the design kind of weaves into each other in this space and it's sophisticated yet it's also playful and I feel as if like as you mentioned the pandemic like maybe that cultural shift has has given designers more confidence to be more playful and to kind of just push the boundaries in certain areas what what was the design narrative there mm. I hope you're right about that I think that people do need more playful spaces and uh, I we think the more designers pitch it and the more designers in, in like push the I think there's a worry, I think, among designers when, when it comes to pitching projects. It's like they really want to win it. So they try to give the clients what they want. Whereas actually, and with your work, and I see it in, in how you win business, if the client understands the nature of your studio and how you work and your approach, then that far outweighs the what you've been able to pitch as an idea as to what the design scheme will be, because they'll understand how you're working and, and reacting to a space you know and oh, that's I think awesome at that, that you point, that up. that's when you mm -hmm. can be playful you know that's awesome that you picked that up because you know it blows my mind how many times we actually say no to projects believe it or not especially in the last couple of years because we we either through the interview process realize that the client's not going to get it um mm. and we also realize that if we're not here as partners 
where we can contribute from the knowledge that we have because we have a tremendous amount of knowledge in the hospitality business. It's all over the world. It's not just local, it's, it's international. Mm-hmm. And when we bring that forward, ideas and suggestions, if the, the person on the other side is not open-minded about it and we get the sense of that, it's better for us not to take on the project. And so we've been really lucky to partner with clients that understand us and see the value and we understand them when we see the value. So it's a true partnership in that sense. And look, I think Park Hyatt is is a fantastic project. It's we're really proud to, for it to be in our own city here. You know, we love working. We love actually working on both branded and non-branded and independent hotels. You know, we like both of them, and both have value in the hospitality sector. You know, some people really connect with the concept of brand fidelity, while others uh, like to explore and discover. You know, more unique properties, and, and both have a space. You know, and Park Hyatt's Toronto to me is. Is like the flagship Canadian property, and it's an iconic Toronto location. You know, it's 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 crucial for us to tell the story of that. Like, you know, it feel it felt authentic, inspired by, frankly, all the beautiful seasons that we have here in our city. Our landscaping. I mean, we also pulled inspiration from the group of seven um, that drew all the colors and the textures that you're seeing there. So there actually is a reason for those colors there. You know, it's on top of we had a beautiful. Uh, curation of art within the property and it just feels appropriate to 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 not only the city but also to its clientele right like it's, mm. it's it i think that's what i feel does uh does it really best and we're doing several other projects in our city including nobu and just about to open a canopy hotel here and and there's so much going on it's pretty exciting mm. and that that space that joni is the is that the restaurant and the Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so the restaurant, I mean, what I love about it is that it, it's got a really masculine tone. Yeah, it doesn't feel particularly masculine and it's definitely got longevity in the design. Um, mm. I think actually the answer to that is is how it connects with the architecture of the, the stairwell at the, at the back of the, the restaurant that kind of really sort of becomes a statement piece in itself. Yeah, and it connects the pre-function of the ballroom with the what they call like sort of like the living room for the hotel guests. Like Mark Hyde has a real affinity to its guests and wants to make sure that the guests has their sense of privacy and ownership while they're staying on property. And mm-hmm. that entire living room does that. It doesn't, it actually barely feels like a restaurant. It's not supposed to feel like a restaurant. It's supposed to feel like part of the architecture of of the entire ground floor so guests can not don't have to go there for dining only they can go and have meetings and relax and it's part of their it's part of their space mm. that staircase is fantastic because like i said it does connect that pre-function uh and it really makes the circulation a lot more enjoyable and um so yeah i i love the pro- one of the biggest challenges what on the project was that there they really wanted the um, the ballroom to hard to generate a lot more revenue for them because it was on it used to be on the on the ground floor where underneath there's like a um a train track and so like a, a subway station it would shake literally shake the building so they raised it up and put it up on the on the second floor and when i start to see what's happening there through social media i know that it's successful because of all of the beautiful events that happen in that ballroom and and of course there's 
the rooftop bar, the spa downstairs, everything seems to be working really, really well. And it's finding its place in, the, in our city. It's finding its place. I want to keep talking about the, the, the brand Park Hyatt because I think a few years ago, you know, well, probably about 10 years ago, designers would be given the, the Bible of like brand guidelines to sift through and then have to kind of adapt their design scheme around that. But do you think we're getting to the point where designers through their work and through their creative concepts are almost shaping the next era of brands like Park Hyatt, for example. So can the power of the design really go on to help redefine a brand? Yeah, I'm definitely noticing that, you know, we're working with Ritz-Carlton as well. We're working with several iron brands, luxury brands, the Shangri-Las and the MGMs and all these amazing brands out there. And, you know, as designers, we, we really do have to be really fantastic listeners because if we try to instill the same formulaic solution for a Park High and a Ritz-Carlton, well, they start to look like the same, right? And mm. and you don't want that. And so the principles the, and the brand standards, I actually think are important to understand the values of what their promise to the guest is. And then it's up to us to kind of turn that around and you know make it into an experience that's unique and surrounding itself around those brown values but if we forget about that and we try to inject like a bunch of designers keep trying to inject their own sensitivities of design in it well that ne doesn't necessarily work right, i think i sure. think a brand will start to like dilute and it doesn't know who it is so the, the team around the band has to be very clear on what they want out of it and i think both of those brands as an example even the ritz carlton's that we're working with mm -hmm. um you know they're so very clear on you know the expectation of their guests they know who they are and you know because they cater to them around the world and there are some similarities and as you know a guest can also travel all over the world they will from toronto to new york to you know the islands and to asia and to the uk go they go everywhere so but they still expect the same right and so it's our it's our responsibility i think in the design community to ensure that we don't mess with that because we think there's something cool happening you know today in the design community of trends and so we can't inject inject that you know and even like like addition you know we're working with the addition as well not necessarily with their hotel but rather with their all residential but it was our job to infuse that with the principles and the, and the nuances of the brand at its hotel level and turn it into a residences and so you're attracting those who would uh, would go to the, the hotels and trying to give them a piece of real estate that they're going to own but they have That's to a really own it within brand. Because, yeah, I mean, every, because everyone good. knows the addition and what it looks like and what it feels like and the kind of sophisticated minimalist nature of, of that brand. I guess yeah. as a new designer to then work on a new spec, like how do you even start? Like, because I would be really worried that, oh, I don't want it just to look like a, a, a ripoff from the hotel because obviously it has to have its own personality. I guess artwork and artifacts come into it, but that's a real challenge. <laughs> Don't it is, you. but but you know, there's there's <laughs> that's so funny that you say that because you know it's a, it has been a very challenging project from many perspectives, all of which around surround what you just said there. You know, because you don't want to be cliche about it, and you but you also want to feel that sense of responsibility to those potential homeowners that are yeah. going to own a piece of real estate in the sky to say, hey you are going to live amongst the things that really that matter to you when you go sleep in our hotels. And here it is, here's a piece of it in this residential property, but the actual home itself, even though there are the space planning and the open concept of it and the materials are very addition, you still have the opportunity to make it your own. 
Yeah. Or you can choose for it to live and breathe like a hotel and and let it be decorated as such, because mm -hmm. that's what you seek and that's what you love, right? As a, as a buyer, as a as a hotel guest. So, I think um, the reason why I think that would be hard is because it's such a personal brand to Ian Schrager, and it's and people know Ian Schrager and know his style. And to, I mean, I just wouldn't want to mess that up. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> well it's uh the pressure is being it's felt exciting, but, That's, but it's exciting i'm looking pressure. forward to yeah. seeing what what comes out from that um it's in miami you there's some definitely some um uh, information out there already some images have been released um i'm extremely proud of that project it's uh, it's fantastic I, I guess with miami as well you kind of got that open nature feel in, mm -hmm. in design so it's it's not not easier but easier to capture its sense of place just by letting nature in a bit yeah for sure um, okay there's one project that i'm extremely excited about that you're working on tell me is it the tallest shangri-la in the world the tallest it is, is definitely the tallest shangri-la <laughs> in the world for sure in, in nanning in nanning china yes, so tell us nanning, about that china. project what the brief is i guess yeah i have to tell you that uh i really miss china i really do i i i absolutely loved going and i have such amazing clients and friends there that i miss dearly and seeing the project go up where i haven't able to visit and and yeah, intermittently um like i do on a lot of our projects i'm only experiencing it through the images that mm -hmm. uh, i see and it's and it's beautiful it's it's on point it, it makes sense to being there in naning you know, kind of referencing back to the people, the 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 Zhuang people in the Guangxi province. I remember, like in the beginning days, one of my clients took me there. I would literally walk. They were trying to get me into the city and see, you know, the cosmopolitan aspect of it. And I was like, can I just kind of walk through the the, the rural streets? Can I can I go and take pictures of textures of you know window details and and joinery and pavers and patterns and texture and then even go to the to the museum and just understand the people uh the zhuang to see how you know what kind of materials they would use and you know we got inspired by these copper tone metals that you know because it was a lot of carving at the time back in the days and on in stonework and basket weaving and details all of this kind of came into our furniture and and our and our walls and materials and and you can feel it like even that there's this you kind of go up to a level where there's the the check-in it's a sky lobby and as you're walking through you can look at the floor and it will remind you of some of the cobblestone that you would walk on to in the in the rural parts but it's modernized it's made out of beautiful granite it's at a luxury level so you yeah. kind of take this kind of like the almost where people had started and then ultimately became very successful in their lives and you marry the two and so there's a there's a sense of of uh, empathy towards the past and this sense of beauty and technology that allows us to create things that is just absolutely stunning today right so it's kind of like and it harks back to the that. past and it becomes modern in the, in the future of today when did you visit nanning to do that research oh god i want to say almost five years ago um, but amazing that least. you were able to like you know could you imagine if that was like three years on from when you you went or the project was three years on from, from when it started like at least you were able to get that or could you, it wouldn't have been the same you wouldn't have found half the things you found yeah I would agree with that for sure uh, it, it's a beautiful country it's a beautiful place it's so lush and so green and the food is incredible I mean the soups the tofu soups and the colors and the richness 
the ingredients are just so so beautiful i don't know it's it's a it's a i, don't know, I have a bit of an empathy and a, and a passion towards cities in china and of course hong kong and all and so sometimes when you hear the media and all that what's going on it just saddens me because you know when you yeah. spend as much time as i did there and just a different affiliation to what's going yeah, on yeah and it's also like appreciating craft you know in, oh in my Asia god there's such part of the world like yeah there's such craft in there we use that craftsmanship in like there's an escalator that you take from the ground floor up and you we, we had this beautiful walnut wall that was all hand carved like a story there's actually a story there so as you're kind of moving up this escalator you could literally feel this story of past and present and you know your head your eyes just kind of move all over the place and i mean i'm that's the way it was designed but i'd love to i'd love to climb that escalator and see yeah. it for myself but right it, it feels to me that the whole like world's tallest shangri-la hasn't really come into the design narrative at all it's actually only about referencing the authentic nature of the destination and its people and the neighborhood around like you know does it come into yeah. your mind at all that you're designing a world's first when you're creating it or is it no. just no, 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 I don't, I don't think about the architecture and being the tallest. Uh, I'm actually surprised that it was in, in that sense. And like the architects were incredible partners. I think that uh, I think ultimately they'll probably be a taller and a, and a, and a wider. What is it with and a thinner and... that they, they want to be in big, huge, tall buildings. <laughs> <laughs> well, they break it down into the, you know, the, the hotels on the top and then there's residential and there's office use and all that. Like mm. they create cities within small plots of land there, right? Because mm. of the density of itself. So it's just a different culture and a different need and uh, programming for the city. We, it's hard for us as North Americans to understand that, you know, it's just, it's just a completely different uh, yeah. need. That's all it is. And I'm, so. I'm guessing because it's so tall, is there a lack of outdoor space as well within the structure? There is actually, there is an outdoor space. Um, oh, and the, as the building steps back, there's this beautiful pool that we work closely with landscape on. And there's a spa that also connects outside as well. Um, there are. And then when you're up there, you know, you don't realize, but it's actually like you're literally in this in the clouds. And so you'll barely get a clear day. Which is ironic, right? <laughs> so the taller you go in China, the worse it is because it's like you barely get a clear day out there. So you're always in the clouds, right? I'd say you go mid-building or lower if I were going to buy anybody to buy in China. <laughs> this is where you could appreciate what's going on, right? So, yeah, absolutely. So it's a fun project. Um, I'm looking forward to. And there's a few others that we're about to open in uh, China, in Qingdao. Um, we're working with MGM out there and we're working on their... No non-casino. Uh, it's probably like a I think Qingdao level. is quite an interesting location. You've been? It's um. Well, uh, I don't want. I I worked in PR, but then before that, in my my former life, I used to sail, and obviously it was the venue for the oh. twen- 2008 uh, Olympics yeah. and Paralympics. Yeah, the, so I, the I know the Paralympic team um really well, and they they were out there. But yeah, oh, no, wow. there's there's lots of reference to. To the sea again and it's a, it's a really beautiful location right right on the sea with the harbor and yeah i mean some some of the properties there just literally look out onto the vast sea it's it's absolutely beautiful it's gorgeous um, yeah. i don't know about much about the culture outside of like the sailing i guess but but what's it like there well we'll save that for another podcast i'll tell you all about oh, okay. it when you get to see some <laughs> images because it's under construction i'm excited about that one that one's gonna we took two brands we took uh, the mgm brand and then they have a sister brand which is called Dayutai and Dayutai is really for the diplomats and it's like a it's a very 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 high-end brand uh very exclusive brand far superior it's like far higher in, in its uh 
its design values and its and its demand and, and command on on the quality of uh, it's 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 crazy what we're doing. I got. It's, I think but we're it's, probably about six months away from opening that. It's not like about six months. <clears throat> Set up another podcast. I want to show you, blow your head off what's going, what we're doing out there. We'll, we'll book flights. We'll have to count. We'll there. book flights and we'll do it. We'll do a podcast <laughs> from there. You on your handstand and me on sitting down, if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> it just you can do it upside down. Dinner. Just doing handstands <laughs> on the table. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think what I well I think what's interesting with that is you're working on projects all over the world so you must kind of get into challenging situations and come up with solutions in one part of the world that really helps layer the texture outside I'm kind of referencing a project closer west so the Amal in Miami I mean I love the fact that you've taken reference from the menus and you know you've injected it with Lebanese nods because that's exactly what the menu is but what are the pitfalls of layering a design scheme with influences from the outside neighborhood and, and also referencing too much the, the kind of obvious, which is the food, I guess? How, how, how do you balance that to, to keep it level with, with a sophisticated design scheme? Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely. It was funny enough, I was just had dinner with some friends at Amal here in Toronto. And I often talk about Amal in Miami because it's just, it's different. You know, design is like, it's like a, bridge that like kind of between cultures and communities right so especially when it comes to food and beverage i think there's a real opportunity to kind of bridge to and it's like this marriage between food concept and the location right so and then amal in miami is like equally about escapism as it is about like being appropriate for coconut grove the area in which it it, it exists now right it's pretty you know, it's light, it's fresh, it's lush at the same time. There's subtle integration of Middle Eastern patterns, but very, very subtle because we didn't want to, you know, plop this thematic space in the in Coconut Grove. It's like a little, this little strip of town that is so coveted that we wanted to make sure that there wasn't any sort of overly themed reference there. There was subtlety. There is, you see it in the patterns, you see it in the textures, without a doubt. You know it's a Lebanese restaurant. But it's also bridges a little bit of Miami in there and and the lifestyle of those that live within the area um, has a level of sophistication because Coconut Grove is a very affluent area there. So and to see to see it come to life, I had dinner there with Charles, the, the owner, and I was absolutely blown away at how A, it's being welcomed within the neighborhood. It's full all the time. It's one of its highest grossing restaurants. And it's just on fire. It's just like it's incredible. I, I was because it also stands apart from everything that out everything that's out there it's like it's not super super high end where it's not a, you, you're intimidated to go you still yeah. wear flip-flops and feel like you have a very beautiful experience there and if you've seen the images and you can see just how pretty it is right i just well i, 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 don't I, wanna, love, I love it yeah i don't want to pick out key areas but i mean i will but i don't want to yeah. because i feel as if the design scheme really works together but I love the chandeliers and I feel as if they really mm. work with the plants that have been sort of, you know, dotted around the space really carefully so that it's not just a jungle, you know, and I love, I love the lighting and I love, I don't know, just the colours, you, as you say, it just feels relaxed. And even though it's in an Good. affluent area and has like, you know, really lovely menu, no doubt, it's just like calming. But I, I think, guess I think you're right. I think there's also this sense of intimacy, those light fixtures that are just, I think they're about eight or 10 feet in diameter. By the time you look at the three levels and you know 
there's a sense of intimacy. We brought it down because we had this exposed ceiling and we use this kind of like almost like this lat lattice effect up in the, in the, in the, um, on the joist levels. And so, you know, we want some high mechanical on set, but, but at the same time, we just felt that the space was so tall. And then those light fixtures um, just kind of created a sense of like cocooning, like you feel very. And then on top of that, mm. we use sofas to dine in. You're dining in sofas yeah, rather that. than traditional, you know, tables and chairs. And there's layers of pillows, like you're in your own living room. And so with a dining height table, that's perfect for dining with your friends. And so there is that sense of connection to maybe a place that feels familiar, which might be your living room. But at the same time, there's that escapism. There's a sort of like a, a completely different place that you feel like you can experience. The, the other thing I find that like you wouldn't necessarily know this, um, uh, but one of our biggest challenges with the project was when the client brought it to us, it's a, it's a, it's a um, the, the building itself is a, uh, it's an office tower. It's only like five, six stories tall. There's well, I was going to ask above. what was it before? So it, it's, it's, before. it's a brand new, brand new office tower. And the restaurant is on the ground floor and it's a horizontal plan, right? So it's a rectangular plan. And the entrance to both the restaurant and the offices is dead center. So it literally splits the restaurant. And then my client had was working with another design firm at the time and they had basically conceptualized two restaurants and he wasn't feeling good about it. And he asked me to help with the project. And so I said, absolutely. But I said, we need to start over. And he says, no, no, we can't. We have restarted. We have our lease. I said, if you deliver this restaurant the way you're doing it, you're going to fail at it. I said, because what you're doing is you're dividing. You're kind of creating like this literally this divide between, you know, the left side and the right side. It's not going to work because the, people will seek to either live on the want to experience the left side or the right side. What you need to do is blend it in. And he said, well, that's crazy because we, we need to get people to their offices. I said, let them walk through the restaurant. Let them walk right through the restaurant. It'd be fantastic. And he, it was crazy conceptually. That would have been like almost three years ago that we conceptualized that. And today, I will tell you that like offices and their lobbies in the traditional sense just don't work. It just doesn't work. They need yeah. to be more activated. But to flop a restaurant in the middle of an, of an office galley, essentially like walk to the real elevator, it's worked incredibly. In fact, we even put a little corner in the corner right beside the bar is this, uh, it's like a, it looks like a service station. But the security guard's standing in there, so he, he welcomes you in, and he says, "Well, who are you, who are you That's here really to see?" Nice. He said, "I'm going to the third floor to see, you know, this 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 office and this this business, etc." And so, but we literally like blended everything, and people when they come in, you see their faces and their bodies change, and they feel much more relaxed, and they it's there's this level of excitement, and there's this rooftop uh, as well that's connecting the entire space. So I think we flipped. On the theme of you upside down but i think we flipped the whole concept of restaurants and offices completely upside down and yeah. i'm hoping that office lobbies will start to you know maybe be more activated rather than just a space of hard concrete or stone slabs with a big desk that says you know stand here and we'll check you in and they're just empty there's no life to them right i hope that they can start to create this sense of community through this energizing of space yeah. And to your point not just in well, a WeWork way. But I think to your point, I think private members clubs also need to up their game. You know, yes. it's, it's yes. not, it's, I've got a theory that the people who, well, the, the clientele, the tribes, as you call them, who used to be members of private members clubs, the original members of Soho House, for example, are no longer members because their office basically reflects a private members club anyway. Therefore, there's an opportunity there for 
those clubs, those hospitality spaces to do something a little bit different. I don't know what the solution is. I guess that's your job. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they should call us. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, I think it comes from the fact that like, I've done a lot of work in Las Vegas, but I've never gambled in my life. I've never put a nickel in a machine. I've been going there for 20 plus years and hundreds and hundreds of times I'm there for like 48 hours and I'm out. Right. And, but in the early days, what I would do is I would people watch. And I would sit there and be fascinated by not the games in the casino, that, because the noise would drive me crazy at the time. You'd hear a lot more ding, 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 ding. Did you just love people flushing away their money? <laughs> no, I hated that part of it. Absolutely. But that's what really what makes like the it's whole the truth, hotel business though, thrive. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Yeah, I hated that. But I, I realized that by people watching and jumping from hotel to the hotel like i'd go from you know a bellagio to an aria to and even go to treasure island or an mgm and because i had nothing to do mm -hmm. after my meetings i would i didn't have any interest in gambling so i just walk mm -hmm. and then like go see those hotels and what i realized is that every hotel was catering to a specific tribe they would literally attract certain customers based on demographics and based on design and all that and it would reject others like the Bellagio would reject those who would sort of like reject as and they didn't have a sign that says don't come in here. But the the actual the vibe and the, and the entire hotel's yeah. design would instantly almost make feel too intimidated to say like how you seek that yeah. a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas the opposite would be true for those who seek it. And again, so, and that fascinated me from the very beginning of my career. I think that's why. You know, there's such diversity in my work and there's no two projects alike as a result of that. Like every single one of them starts with its own narrative and trying to understand the tribe and my philosophy about, you know, we really don't need to cater to 1.6 billion people. We really don't. We don't need that yeah. many people to make good revenue for a restaurant or a hotel. You don't. You really don't. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if you have a good select group of people that constantly go, you'll do okay in your business. Trust me. You'll and do it's very a real well. skill creating that exclusivity, I would say, though it's not quite exclusivity because it doesn't have to be exclusive without there feeling like there are barriers to the design. I think it's a good, I think it's actually a really good word. I think because we kind of think of it, exclusivity as a, it's almost unattainable or it's yeah. too high end, but that's not true. That's absolutely it's not at all. Yeah, like, it's like absolutely it's not true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's good. Alessandro, we're out of time, but I okay, can see you goodbye. all day. And I look, forward to, <laughs> I, look forward, I look forward to the next podcast. <laughs> I'd love that. I, definitely, I love London, by the way. Let's like, do I, it. I need to do a project there. I really do. Yeah, so you do. If, if you're yeah, listening, somebody you call well. us for a project in London. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so it's much, Alessandro. It's so nice to all speak right, to you. All right, my friend. It's good to care. speak to you as well. I am buzzing. Despite having access to hundreds, if not thousands of designers and architects in my role at Hotel Designs, there's something really quite special and rare about Alessandro. Yes, his style is driven by people and clients. And yes, he has managed to create and nurture a really healthy business. But his approach to materials and the layering of spaces is something quite unique. It makes a lot of sense after hearing how design kind of found him and not the other way around. I can see why brands would love to work with the studio. It's confident, never arrogant, and I kind of want to say that their approach is kind to architecture, effortlessly giving the design, the hotel and the brand a new meaning. 
If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, then please feel free to subscribe. Series four of Design Pod is sponsored by Geberit and produced by Mel Yates. I want to extend a special thanks to Alessandro Munje and his team for allowing this conversation to happen. And tune in next time where we will meet Neil Andrew, Head of Hospitality at Perkins and Will, the design studio that won the Eco Award at the Britlist Awards 2022. After availing its plan to be carbon neutral, that's embodied carbon, in all of its projects by 2030. You don't want to miss this interview where I basically quiz Neil on how he and his team will achieve that status. So tune in next time and see you soon.